0: Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 through 12 for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and and do them now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith but the law is not of faith rather the one who does them shall live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit of faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be
1: to uh, Thank you so much. Hey, let's... uh, Let's join together and pray for the blessing of God's word. Father, I ask this morning that you would be exalted in this time that we have, looking at what you've already declared for everyone who believed, that you took the curse for us. I pray that you'd add to our joy and to our faith, that we would live lives of promise, receiving the blessing that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So yesterday, I'm on a car ride with one of my kids, and uh, while we're driving to a place that this particular kid loves to go, and really wanted to get to, we stop at a red light. There's no one else there, no one's around, and after what, waiting for what feels like an eternity, when there's no one else, giving, we're not giving anyone permission to go because of our stopping, This kid of mine suggested, look, let's just go on and run the light. Let's just go. It's pointless to stay here and wait. And so I did. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I didn't do it. I didn't do that. I didn't run the light like a good dad. I explained why we sometimes have to obey the law, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And look, there's a lot of laws that don't make sense, like a red light when no one's waiting. Um, In Singapore, uh, it's illegal to chew gum. It's illegal even to have chewing gum. Did y'all know that? I didn't. I just looked it up this week. In Venice, it's illegal to feed the birds. In Greece, it's illegal to wear high heels near the Acropolis. In Alabama, there's a law that says you can't pretend to be clergy or religious figures. So no dressing up like a monk or a priest on Halloween, guys, if you're in Alabama, that is. In Mississippi, there's this code that makes it illegal to seduce a woman if you've promised to marry them and you don't intend to. (laughs) There's also a law in Mississippi that says you cannot sell cat meat. I'm not sure why that's a law. Um, And I'm not sure anybody's in the market. And if you were planning a business to do that, sorry. It's illegal here. And there's a lot of people who have that kind of impression of the church. It's like this uh, landscape of landmines. Well, you walk in and you're kind of anticipating some type of rule that you didn't even know was a rule. And so if you're new in this room today and you're wondering, like, what are the rules that they're going to um, play by? I just want to welcome you here. For some people, that's what coming to church feels like. Feels like this unanticipated set of rules. Some people, that's what reading God's word feels like. You read it wondering. It's like going to be a constant discovery of things that you fall short of, a constant discovery of laws that you've broken, a constantly, uh, it's a discovery of rules that you have not kept with your life. And if that's you today, you're in really good company because we love to welcome the faint hearted. <laughs> the church should be the most welcoming place for people that feel weary and insecure and trepidatious. So if that's you, Welcome. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible because at the beginning of it, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. She says, now some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life best or works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what He has done. And every time we approach God's Word, And a time like this together, we might approach it asking the question, God, what do you want from me? What do you require of me? What do I need to do in order to be right with you? But today, I want to just invite you to approach God's Word and this time together asking the question, what have you done, Lord Jesus? Who are you? And who do you want to reveal yourself to be in this moment? So God, revealing Himself for us who have faith. That's the invitation of Christ and the invitation of this text we're going to look at today. We're looking at Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14, which is what we just read together. And he's answering, Paul is answering this question. How should we understand the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do these two things work together? How do we continue to believe that the law from God is still from Him, and we embrace this message that Jesus Christ has paid it all and fulfilled the law. And so just to recap, if you're new here or this is your first week, we've been in Galatians for six weeks. Today is week seven. And I want to give you just a quick overview, 30,000-foot view, I'm so grateful that you're joining us, even if it is the first time. Paul is the writer of this book. He's writing it to a group of people who've been misled. They were converts to Christianity, and he had gone out and planted this church. The church had been misled by a group of people called the Judaizers, a group of people who wanted to add additional burdens to the reality of what Christ had done in order for them to become more Jewish. And in this correction of what they'd been believing, Paul lays out two different ways to live. So there's a way in which you believe, the way of faith, that leads to promise and provision of Jesus Christ, and there's another way to live, and this is the way that these people have misled you in, where you trust in your own works, you rely on works of law, and it will lead to curse. And so the summary of the whole book is in the two verses, the one right before where we started today, verse 9 and verse 10, where we started today. So I want to read those two verses to lay out what Paul's doing. He's saying there's two ways to live. First, so then those who are of faith, that's one way, are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Second way to live, but those who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So two things, he lays them side by side, blessing and curses, a life of promise, a life of burden, a life of uh, uh, where God gives us life and the inevitability of death on the other hand. Curses, blessing, two ways. So you understand God in his world in one of two ways today. He's not just laying this out for them. He's saying for us as well. There's two potential ways. You can see God and his world as some rule-keeping religion, Or a grace giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And for every one of us, as individuals, as people, we are either living a life of faith in what Christ has done or a life of self reliance. And today, he's going to lay out what the self reliance will lead to. It will lead to curses. So, bottom line today, my prayer, my hope for us and those in the room that feel faint hearted that you would renew your strength and that it would come from some other source than your ability to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and do better. Because God is ultimately asking you to do something, to receive something he's offering, to believe it and receive it. And so Paul continues his confrontation that walking through, and he lays out three things, and I'm going to just point out where we're going. Here's the three points. First, he's going to give them a warning. There's a curse if you're trying to attempt to, to uh, rely on yourself and the works of the law. There's a warning, and then there's a promise of Christ's redemption, and there's this great provision of God's blessing and spirit to everyone who believes. So first, let's look at the warning. We already looked at this verse. It's going to be on the screen again. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Paul's warning these Christians in this moment. If you revert back to the things that you've been counting on to deliver you, If you're you're counting on yourself to be good enough to deal with your shame, your regret, all the things that you've done, the only thing that's going to lead to is curse. Now, unless you grew up in some different part of the world where there's voodoo and witch doctors, okay, you probably are not familiar with the idea of there being curses. We love the idea of blessings, right but no one's like talking about curses but if you grew up in the world of the bible there was a a, a very familiar way that people understood blessing and curses being laid side by side for something like us it would be something like this we hold these truths to be self-evident right everybody understands that that's like part of the the um our law. We know that. We understand it. Or if I said, with liberty and justice for all, those phrases would immediately bring to mind the Constitution or the Pledge of Allegiance. And for people that were receiving this, if you said there's blessing and curses, it would have brought something familiar to their mind. For everyone that was part of the Jewish tradition, they would have known the concepts of blessing and cursing. So just as a review, God had promised both blessing and cursing with his first covenant to Abraham. He'd said, look, if You walk this life of faith. I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. I'm going to curse everyone who curses you. Then he promises through the law in Moses that if you do everything that I command, you're going to get blessings, but if you don't do it, what are you going to get? You're going to get God's curse. So I want to answer the question, what does it mean to be cursed? What does that mean? How could it be that this good God would also give curses? It means that God's justice and His judgment, His wrath, the offense to His holiness will not go unpunished. It ultimately will be punished in one way or another. The only way for us to understand the blessing of God through Christ is for us to ponder for a moment what it means to be under God's curse. Anyone who was not able to live up to the standard of the law was to receive curses, punishment, justice from God. Every offense we had ever made to God's law must suffer God's punishment. So, if you're relying on your own ability to keep the law, we're in very, very big trouble. Big trouble. And does that mean that the law is bad? No, that's not what he's saying here. In case you're one of those people who's like, well, we don't really do the law anymore because now we're the new covenant. Listen, it doesn't mean that God's law was bad. I just want to put that out there, God's rules. They still reveal to us the ways that he wanted his people to be distinct. It still reveals to us what his holiness looks like. It reveals to us who he is and how he works. And he wants us to see them as beautiful like the psalmist. He just doesn't want us to see them as our hope for salvation. It's not that the law is bad. It's also not that the law is too demanding. We don't need to have some law that's more attainable. Sometimes people read the law and we're like, this is too harsh, man. We need to be less. But you know what that, make, that makes us? It makes us more legalistic. You know why? Because if we think that the law is attainable, we think we can attain it. It means that we're gonna hold people to whatever stand, whether it's standard, whether it's diminished or God's standard, we're gonna hold ourselves and others to that. It makes us more legalistic. And Jesus said, look, there's no part of the law that's going to pass away. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. It's gonna be in the screen. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. In other words, we're not to think it's bad. We're not to diminish it or take something away from it. If we lower the law, it will make us more legalistic because we can think we'll uh, be able to attain it. So what does it mean? Verse 11, it says this. It's evident, the law makes it apparent that no one is justified by the law. It makes something obviously clear. That God's standard is not going to be the way that you stand right and justified before God. So a good summary of the law, if you're thinking that you're you're like, I think I'm gonna do okay. Like one day I'm gonna die and stand before the throne of God. If you're thinking, I've not been very bad and I've kind of been good. If that's you, I just wanna kind of go through the 10 commandments really quick because this is like a general summary of the law. Starts out with things about loving God. Love God. Don't have any other... God's before him. No carved idols. Then he says uh, to have a Sabbath. This means that we believe in God's provision for us so much that the the supply of our needs is not dependent on us. We can stop and say, you know what? God's on the throne. (laughs) Anybody ever felt the lack of those things? Because the law should reveal that to us. Maybe there's other things that we value more than God or we, we put our trust in more than God or we put our trust in ourselves, which every violation of the Sabbath is that, that we're, we're trying to be the supply for our needs. Second part of the law is love for others. Honor our parents and our authorities. Anybody ever done that perfectly? I've not met the man. <laughs> Sexual purity, not committing adultery, sex outside of marriage, honesty, don't lie. Anybody guilty of lying? Let me just remind you, uh, Apple Terms of Agreement, I've read and agree. Anybody ever done that? All of us are liars. <laughs> you ever taken instead of given? God's law is calling us to be a generous people, not to take something away from someone that we don't deserve. It makes us a grateful for what we have rather than coveting what we don't. It, he's calling us to these standards that we cannot possibly attain. And in verse 10, he's saying this, if you're relying on your own ability to do these things, you're under a curse. And it's saying everybody, Jew, Gentile, no matter whether you have a Jewish background, you're slave, free, no matter your background, if you're raised in church or you have no pedigree of church membership, you don't have anything like that. Everyone has one thing in common. If you're trusting in yourself, this is the end result, it's not, pro- it's not blessing. It's God's justice. So the law is God's standard of holiness. And through the law comes this knowledge of sin. We understand that, that it exposes something deeper going on in our hearts. The law is God's standard. And we're supposed to evaluate ourselves not based on our own ability to evaluate things. Look, we're really good at evaluating things, okay? We are so glad to evaluate ourselves based on other people, Like everyone feels pretty good as long as you can compare yourself to other people. But when you look at God's law, we're saying, wait a minute, this is an unattainable goal. It shows the futility of trusting in any work that we could accomplish by ourselves. It's an unattainable mark and a target. You guys ever watch the first pitch at a baseball game? You know what I'm talking about? First pitch is somebody influential. They bring on onto the field and they're supposed to throw it and it's like hilarious because they obviously are not a pitcher. This is not their profession. And look, I'm really glad that I've never done anything so important that I might have to do this uh, because I would not want that kind of pressure, right? Just imagine that for some reason you got called to do the first pitch and it's just awful. In there. look, all of our other pitchers are sick and we need you to fulfill the rest of this night. It would be foolish, right? And in so many ways, those who are seeking to live by the law are living in this delusion where both they think their ability to keep it and the law's ability to actually change them or be this deliverance so that they might stand right before God. The law is limited in this way. It, can't, it can not reveal the right thing, but it can't change your motivation. It can't change you. So who wants to try? That's ultimately what Paul's saying. Really? You want to go this route? <laughs> don't go this route. It's going to be in vain. They're still convinced that maybe they could add something to what Christ had accomplished. So Paul's conflict and confrontation with this group of people is that they they don't miss it. Don't miss what God's provided for you through Jesus Christ. The heart of the gospel is that he's loved us, not based on what we did, but based on what he's done. And you know, the... Christ summarized the law with this, love God, love everyone else, love God, love your neighbor, and we can still be all about those things and still be legalistic about it and graceless. So anyone here who's relying on their performance, I just want to warn you as Paul warned them, it's a curse. It's not good. No one is justified by the law. Because anyone who does them, you got to live by all of them. As James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of it all. So, what's our hope? According to uh, one rabbi, 242 positive commands. you got to do this. 365 prohibitions. One for every day of the year. If someone were able to fulfill the entirety of these commands and prohibitions, then and only then could they stand before God and his justice and demand admittance into heaven based on their obedience. But there's no one on earth who's ever been able to obey and avoid the law's commands. No one except for one person, Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. Everyone's in the same circumstance. I said it earlier. God's justice towards our sin, his wrath towards our disobedience, his punishment towards rebellion. The only way that we're going to celebrate in God's mercy is if we understand this reality. Uh, It sounds pretty harsh, right, to talk about the curse of God. But if we're dismissive of it, then we also will be dismissive of the price that was paid for us and the great cost that was given to us for our redemption. So what options do we have to be justified? Verse 13, look at this. Here's the promise, Christ's redemption. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Here's our only option, to believe in Christ's provision for us. The second thing I want to point out about Paul's argument, it's not just the negative, hey, don't go that fast, it's going to be bad for you, but this positive, the promise of Christ's redemption. The potential of attempting to be justified or righteous before God based on anything that you could do is futile. But the promise of what God has done for us in Christ is awesome. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So what has he done? Look at Mark 10, 45. It says this. It's going to be on the screen. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life at ransom for many. The promise of those who live by faith is this, that we would be justified, not because what we have done or how well we have done it to keep the law, but by faith, God's promise is offered to us his redemption. This idea of redemption, the price that has been paid. Flannery O'Connor, this Southern writer, said that people love the idea of redemption. They love the idea of something being restored. They just can't stand the cost that it takes. He redeemed us, not based on our works. He overpowered who had us under uh, the law. We were under someone else's power, unable to fight for ourselves. We were enslaved. Redemption is also this picture of how the people of Israel celebrated and talked about their deliverance from Egypt. It's this idea that we were oppressed. There was something being demanded of us that we did not have to give So Jesus Christ rescues us from the law's demands and our own futility of being good enough. He redeems us for our own lack that he might give us completely what we could not earn on our own. He becomes a curse for us. Not only does he give us redemption, but he becomes a curse for us. In other words, he takes the penalty for what we deserved on himself on the cross. The punishment that we rightfully deserved, he said, thou will take that so that you can be free. The longing for restoration was met with this great price of redemption. The most innocent of all time suffering lifted up to God to die. Christ on the tree, the perfect Lamb of God. And we simply must look and live. Most of you probably have heard this this Bible verse, John 3, 16, right? You never heard that one? Forgot to love the world. He gave His only begotten Son. It's a good one. It's really good. <laughs> it happens in the context of this conversation that I love this conversation. There's this really religious guy named Nicodemus. He's having a conversation with, with Jesus. And Jesus is trying to explain to him what he must do in order to be born again. And he references this really interesting story. <laughs> Just as the serpent was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up to die. And he's basically explaining, I'm going to hang on a tree so that you might be free, Nicodemus. And he references this Old Testament story. I love this story. Basically, it's Old Testament. It's in uh, Numbers chapter 21. And it's this great story where God's delivered his people, and they come out, like all of God's people, really good at grumbling and complaining. Basically, they're like, this food is worthless. We don't like it sounds like my kids, honestly. <laughs> you delivered us to die. There's no food. There's no water. We loathe this worthless food. That's how they describe it. And God sends a curse. Y'all remember what the curse is? There's all these serpents that come into their camp. And they're getting bitten by them and they're dying. And in this moment of cursing, God gives them this potential blessing. The Lord said to Moses on the screen, make a fire serpent, set it on a pole, so that everyone who's bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. If a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Really simple plan for the curse being removed, isn't it? Like really simple. Just look at it and then you're going to live. Christ brings this uh, story in John 3, 14. And he said it like this, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In other words, there's nothing you need to do. I'm going to do it for you. Yes, everybody stands under the same terrible curse, but you are invited to look and to live. Jesus' invitation to us isn't, okay, I want y'all to clean yourselves up. I'm going to do some great things for you. As soon as you get yourself pure and get your life together, he's saying, look to me and live. There's a great pardon. There's a great price that was paid. Look and trust that is enough. Look to Jesus and live. He sets us free from the law's demands. It's claims on our life. It's curse over our life. The demands that rather than be under the law, Be justified before God through what you could not do for yourself, Jesus Christ. And our redemption, this great promise of Christ, if we look to him, we might live. That's the hope of the gospel. And what does that mean for us who believe? How how does this change what happens in our life? Third thing I want to point out in this passage is the provision. God's blessing and his spirit. Look at verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. In other words, God alone provides this promise of Abraham. Everybody was interested in getting on Abraham's promise, okay? That's what the conflict was about. They're like, Look, you gotta be circumcised, circumcised you gotta act like a Jew, and then you're gonna get the great promise of Abraham. You can be like all the Abraham's descendants if you just act like us and behave like us. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The only way that you get in on this blessing is through faith in Jesus Christ. The blessing of Abraham that God would go with him and make him a great nation and make him great, make his name great, bless those who blessed him, curse those who cursed him. They're saying, look, there's not some other route to get within this lineage of Abraham. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can be grafted into this tree. The second thing that he's saying that he provides to them not just the blessing of Abraham but the ultimate provision, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live in believers not because they cleaned up their lives and made it hospitable for God's spirit. <laughs> he comes in and makes his home with everyone who believes. And listen, the law has never been able to do that, ever. A better hope has been introduced. It's going to be on the screen. Hebrews 7, 18 says this, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand... A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Ultimately, we've been given this hope so that we might draw near to God. The law was never able to modify our hearts, but the Holy Spirit through faith is able to transform us from the inside out. So we get access to God. We get the blessing of Abraham and we get ultimately the Holy Spirit. And that means we stand justified before Almighty God and it's a gift that we can draw near to Him based on what He's done for us, not what we could do for ourselves. Approved before Him based on what He did to receive us. 2 Corinthians 5 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God is showing off how beautiful and righteous He is. That's the provision and the blessing of God. Now in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, God did what the law couldn't do. He's done what you you couldn't do. What the law couldn't do. You couldn't make yourself righteous. You could not pay the penalty of the curse. And so, I want to ask you this question in conclusion. Are you trusting in yourself or in Christ? Are you trusting in yourself or in Christ? Jesus told this story about people who were trusting in themselves. Now, love this story in Luke eighteen. I want you to introduce it. He told this parable. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. You know what always happens when you trust in yourself for your own righteousness? You treat others with contempt because they're not living so, so radically as you are. You look at them and say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do the things I'm doing? When you do it in your own strength, that's what happens. You start looking at others with contempt. Contempt. So Jesus tells this story for those who trust in themselves, and they were looking at others going, I don't like how they're living. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. In other words, God, thank you that I'm so good. Thank you that I am really good at being good. But on the other hand, The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this parable that Jesus told was for this purpose. You wanna know how to stand justified before God? We all need to know that, okay? We all need to know how to stand justified before God. And he's basically putting those two stories side by side. You can stand on your own righteousness you're going to leave unchanged, you can stand on God's mercy, and it's your only hope. And here's what he said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector that beat his breast and said, I can't even lift my eyes to you. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I'm asking you this question. Are you trusting in yourself or in Christ? Because one is doomed to fail and one is the greatest provision that you could ever receive. And his invitation to you is to look and to live, to gladly receive it. That's his invitation to everyone. For us who rejoice in his mercy, for those who fear, if you're faint-hearted today and you're weary, come before the throne of God trusting not in what you could do, but what Christ has done. I love how Bonhoeffer says it in Life Together. He wrote this book about how they would live their life together. He said this, you are a sinner, great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. My son, give me thine heart. God has come to you to save the sinner. Be glad. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before Him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare be a sinner. I just want to leave that as an invitation to you today. You don't have to pretend. God doesn't want some better version of yourself. He's inviting you to come (laughs) as you are because that's the only way you can receive what he has to give. You not have to pretend to be better. In fact, if you're trusting in anything other than what he alone can provide, it is doomed to fail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would make us just liberated by it. You grant us faith to believe and that we would live this life of promise that you've offered. Father, I pray that, that those who feel the futility of their own goodness, that are faint-hearted, that that are f- afraid that you would embrace them based on what you've done for them and not what they could do. Pray that you just relinquish their grasp on some other hope. Thank you for this good pricely gift that we've received through Christ. That you would take the curse that belonged on us. That you would take it on yourself and rescue us by your mercy. And I pray that we'd receive it once again by faith. That we'd just believe and draw near to you. Pray that as we worship you, we sing songs to you, today that you would just reassure the faint-hearted. You would comfort those who need to be comforted. You'd confront those who are trusting that their work is enough. And they would see your good provision for them. And they would receive, they would look and live. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.